1: If you enjoy listening to Chorology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create chorology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep chorology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making chorology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends. this is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 44.
0: People have been through excruciating pain because of, of some of what the church is teaching about gender and sexuality and so you coming out as affirming is not is, just doesn't require the same courage as coming out as gay. <laughs>
1: Rachel Held Evans is a New York Times bestselling author who writes about faith, doubt, and life in the Bible Belt. Uh, she hails from Dayton, Tennessee, which is home of the famous Scopes Monkey Trials of 1925. And she's been featured in The Washington Post, The Guardian, Christianity Today, Slate, Huffington Post, CNN Belief blog, and on NPR, BBC, Today, and The View. Uh, Rachel served on President Obama's Advisory Council on Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships, uh, and she keeps a busy schedule speaking at churches, conferences, colleges, and universities around the country. I'm so excited to have Rachel on the podcast today. Before we dive in, a couple of announcements. First, uh, if you are in the Calgary-Lethbridge area in Alberta, Canada, uh, I am going to be leading a couple workshops at Unabridged Lethbridge on May 5th. Uh, it's a free event for LGBT people, uh, at those intersections of kind of faith and, and queer identities, uh, come hang out with us all. The, the conference is May 4th and 5th. I will be there both days, but my workshops are on the 5th. For more information about that, head over to unabridgedyql.com. That's unabridgedyql.com. Second, I launched my new website, Redesign, this past week, and with that, uh, my LGBTQ plus Christian reading guide has been launched as well. It's a brand new guide for people who are like, I want some resources, but I don't know where to turn, and it it has sections on theology, it has sections for parents, it has sections on like history, for faith leaders... um, there's, there's a bunch of resources in there, both for sexual minorities and for gender minorities. It's kind of like an all-in-one. Here are some of the best resources, I think, that are out there. It's my opinion. Um, so go check that out. Head over to MatthiasRoberts.com. Check out the new website. Get a copy of my new LGBTQ Christian reading guide. Uh so Rachel and I are talking about allyship. Um I've I've thought for a long time like maybe maybe we should do a, an episode on how to be a good ally. And I thought it could be kind of cool to get an ally to come join me to do that episode. So so Rachel is someone who I think, you know, there, there's that conversation out there about how the word ally is never a word that you can really claim for yourself, uh, but has to be given to you by others. Uh, I talk about that in episode three with Dr. Robin D'Angelo. Really good conversation around that, especially in regards to racial justice. But I think Rachel is a good example of someone who is an ally to the LGBTQ community. She's one of the first like major evangelical bloggers to kind of put her neck out on the line for LGBTQ people, and she has consistently uh, shown uh, that she's she's in it. She's she's in it. So we talk about allyship. We talk about her new book. Uh, let's just go ahead and dive in. Rachel, hi, welcome.
0: Hi, it's such an honor to be here. I'm excited about jumping in on this podcast. Yeah, I listen. I'm a listener. Oh, thank you. Now I'm a guest. It's an honor. <laughs> well,
1: I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, so to start, the question I ask everyone: uh, How do you identify? And then, how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity?
0: All right. Well, uh, I'm a, a straight cisgender ally. <laughs> Uh, who is also a mother and a wife, and I'm a doubter. I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, And I guess, how has my faith informed that identity? I mean, identity is like so many different things. I'm also, I'm white. I'm an Alabama Crimson Tide football fan. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, the important stuff. Uh, (laughs) I'm Episcopalian. Um, But I guess, you know, my faith has informed that my identities in the sense that those identities are always changing and, um, identities, you know, for me are in a lot of ways fluid in the sense of, yeah, just as your life changes, your roles in that life change and how you relate to other people change. Um, and so my faith informs that because my faith, um, Provides sort of the insights into um, what's most important and uh, how I ought to be relating to people uh, in my life, and it informed my the way, the fact that I identify as an ally uh, just because um, just following Christ and the example of Jesus Christ led me to uh, become somebody who imperfectly uh, supports and. Uh, tries to rally around and encourage uh, my LGBTQ friends and family members um, because it's the right thing to do. And uh, Jesus looked out for people and supported people and surrounded himself by people and learned from people who were often shoved to the margins because, by the religious leaders. And so that's that informs how I relate to people who uh, identify differently than I do when it comes to gender and sexuality and that sort of thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Apparently, yeah, I mean, like sometimes people on the internet think that I'm gay because. I hang out with y'all <laughs> and I'm always like well that's very nice thank you for believing that about me but that I'm not I'm afraid that I am in fact straight as an arrow yeah uh because apparently just being gay for Penelope Cruz does not count as actually gay so wow. <laughs> too much to fit in this acronym so yes I am pretty hopelessly straight
1: mm.
0: and happily married mm. and the mother of a toddler and a little girl on the way
1: that's such a real thing though because i think i know when i was like when i wasn't out of the closet i was terrified to hang out with lgbt people because of that like association of like Mm -hmm. if they think if like if i hang out if i'm nice even if i'm nice to gay people like they'll think i'm gay too and i didn't want people to know that
0: (laughs) right (laughs) it's
1: so real it's so real
0: Um, (laughs) it happens people make that mistake all the time and it's I, i i try to to take
1: it as flattery but <laughs> <Yep>. yeah <laughs> uh, so i like i'm curious about like allyship like you're the, so you're the second person straight person um that has ever been on this podcast in what this is episode 44 so in 44 That's episodes good.
0: um and Thanks this is, for inviting me to this party. I know yeah. I don't, I, <laughs> you know, I'm not owed a place. I uh, yeah. appreciate it.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you've, like, I mean, you and your blog, you're writing your work, um, I know have has played such a huge part in so many LGBT Christians' kind of journeys in their lives. I know, in my journey in life, like, your blog was, it was still pretty dangerous to read, but it was safer than, like, queer blogs. Um, Right. And the way that you've opened up this conversation, I think for so many people, has had a huge impact. Um, So I'm kind of curious, like, maybe to start, like, what has your personal journey kind of been like in, I mean, you mentioned it a little bit, but in kind of becoming an ally... Like I was combing through your blog. It it, it looks like your first post about kind of like LGBT stuff was maybe in 2008 is what I could find. Oh gosh,
0: please don't read that Um, and
1: please do not quote it. (laughs) um, Let's just
0: pretend whatever that says, (laughs) it does not say that. But like
1: you've had a, you've that like 2008, like that's 10 years ago. Um, You were one of the first to kind of really bring this topic up. So I'm curious, what, what has that journey kind of been like for you?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, like a lot of folks who, I was raised, you know, very conservative, evangelical, in a pretty grace-filled home, though, which gave me room to wrestle with some of what the culture was teaching me. Uh, But I, you know, was raised to believe that uh, people who identify as LGBTQ, uh, and I mean, back when I was first thinking about that, we didn't even use those terms Correctly. Um, I was raised to believe that folks like that just, you know, were rebelling against God and um, had made sinful lifestyle choices. And uh, so I was immersed in that uh, very non affirming world, um, like a lot of folks who have the same background. Uh, but, you know, as, and this is just how so many people's stories go. As I began to actually encounter real LGBTQ people um, as I began to, as some of my friends and acquaintances from high school um, in their college years came out. Yeah, I began to see that the stereotypes that I'd been presented with just were not reflections of reality. And that a lot of these folks, most of these folks, since I live in, uh, you know, Bible Belt were deeply committed Christians who loved Jesus and who most of them, because they had shared a similar background to me, were really struggling with the reality of their sexuality or gender identity and what they too had been told about what it means to be gay or queer or uh, transgender. And so, um, I, I guess it was just you know getting to know people and and watching that trajectory, like for so many people that. Moved my heart and uh, changed how I thought about things. And then, you know, ha- having grown up as like Bible thumping religious girl, literally, I was the president of the Bible club. That's yes. how intense. Yes, <laughs> I was on homecoming court representing Ooh. the Bible club. Yes, yes, yes. That's, yes. <laughs> that's just how cool I was in high school. Uh, also, like president of the True Love Waits group. I oh mean, I was. I was in it. So. um so I did feel like I had to make some sense of this uh with w- what I had been taught and what I encountered in scripture. And so I I did study quite a bit um study uh what the Bible had to say about gender and sexuality even though my heart was I mean it would be it would be unfair and and not really true to say that like I came in objectively. I didn't nobody comes into that objectively. Um I wanted to believe that LGBT people were uh, cr- you know created in the image of God and beloved by god and, and just as they are and that they they didn't have to change that uh the 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 therapy that I had seen them go through that was so destructive uh was not the way of God, so I went in with a bias um but i i did my did my work uh definitely as um you know, as things progress, I read Matthew Vines' work. Well, first it was probably Justin Lee's book Torn, um, and then articles and you know whatnot online. Uh, Matthew Vines' book was also pretty influential and in kind of nailing down what how I thought about it. But really, the 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 thing that that really turned me around and that that solidified my views was reading, this is random, uh, The Civil War as a Theological Crisis by Mark Knoll. I know, yeah, I'm a weirdo. But <laughs> it showed, because I realized that w- if when it came to proof texts, um, the people with the most, the people with the clear reading of scripture, um, were the folks arguing that slaves obey your masters should be taken at face value. And so that book, just in looking at the way the arguments on both sides of uh, the slavery debate, which was a very real debate, real theological debate in American history, looking at the way those debates were formed and, and had and engaged in, you just, I just saw stark, startling similarities. Slavery, obviously, is a completely different um, injustice than injustices against LGBT people. So the injustices are different. But the way that people navigate scripture around them is actually pretty strikingly similar. So that kind of pushed me over the edge to say that, you know, just, you know, a one verse that seems clear really should not be enough to justify uh, oppression and injustice. And um, that sometimes you have to step back and look at the arc of scripture instead of getting lost in the mire of of a verse here and a verse there and a very difficult to translate word here and one there. So that, that kind of was what brought me to the place that I am. And then it was just spending lots of time with um, LGBTQ people and getting to know better what was important to them. Uh, I hope that has made me a somewhat reliable <laughs> ally. I'm still learning, you know, every time I will probably learn something from this conversation. Uh, and I try to keep that posture of learning uh, as best I can. Um, I think The best allies are people who know that they haven't got it figured out and who are willing to make mistakes and get called on their mistakes. That's hard. I hate that. But I think um, that's an important posture to keep.
1: Yeah. Like, I I think about that because I think in in one way or another, like, we are all allies (laughs) in, in our world. So, like, even for LGBT people, like, for me, gay, white, cis man, like, I can only consider my, well... I, I, ally is one of those words that I have a complicated relationship with, but ally, like for my trans siblings and I mean, mm. those kind of things. Of, so, so that posture that you're talking about, like, is one that I think we, we all have to adapt in some ways in our lives. Um, and it's so important, like to realize that it's, it's not really for us to decide even. Um, and right. which is frustrating and hard sometimes, <laughs> but I'm, I, I, I'm, I, I'm curious about, like, so as as you kind of made this journey, as you've done this theological work, and then you started kind of started to, like, step out uh, and kind of publicly—I mean, you kind of paved the way in some ways. Like, there were some other people before you, but it's like, the first, like, kind of major evangelical blogger to really take these steps, like— what have you learned from kind of the pushback and the church? Like, you you carried a lot stepping out. Um,
0: oh, yeah. You know, I, really, though, I think because I had been so transparent from the beginning about the fact that I wasn't comfortable with where I was to start <laughs> with this, um, nobody was surprised. Like, there wasn't one day where it's like, Rachel Hall Evans is affirming. Let's, you know... Lifeway dropped all her books. I mean, they dropped my books over other things, basically my feminism. So, you know, like I didn't have this sort of Jen Hatmaker moment where it was like, oh, she's an ally, she's affirming, everybody freak out. Um, and I also, I tried actually to, um, I think the, the moment where I made it most clear that I was affirming was just in going through Matthew Vines's book uh, with my readers. We went chapter by chapter by chapter. I tried to to kind of shift the focus off of me and more onto like, these are the reasons to be affirming. And this is from the perspective of uh, a young gay Christian. Um, So that wasn't all, you know, so that, yeah, I guess I just feel like all of those things together made that step, not like one step (laughs) and not a big deal. (laughs) Like nobody was surprised when I started uh, speaking more honestly and straightforwardly about where I, where I stood because I've, I've always tried to be honest with my readers, even when the honest answer to a question is, I don't know, here's what I'm reading. Here's what I've encountered in my experiences with other people. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm not sure how to articulate it. seems like readers appreciate that. And so Um, yeah, nobody was surprised. And, and and frankly, I didn't face the same pushback that like Jen Hatmaker has received. Um, I didn't lose, you know, contracts or speaking engagements. I mean, I might have maybe one or two, um, but, you know, cause I think people saw this coming for a while and um, yeah. And so I hadn't really built much of a, I never really built my platform on, evangelical, um, conservative evangelical uh, columns, you know, <laughs> it was kind of built and just doing my own thing. And I think that ended up serving me pretty well. So I cannot lament how terribly I was treated because I actually felt like I came out of that pretty well. And of course, even the worst things people have said to me, it's just like nothing compared to what uh, I have witnessed firsthand thrown at my gay friends uh gay couples that I love um and so it kind of puts it in perspective to like some angry dude on twitter calling me names it's just whatever like I can block him (laughs) whereas you know folks who live with this day in and day out where it's affected their their relationships with their family with lifelong friends you can't as easily block that out um so it really wasn't um a lot of drama for me. It was, I think people saw it coming and, um, I hope that I kind of shifted the focus over to the people who helped me arrive at this position, not, um, just my arriving there. Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, I remember kind of watching you along this process as I was going on my own process and, and seeing like you, like Jennifer Knapp and Justin Lee, Matthew Vines, like you, you kind of brought in all of these people around you who were doing, that you could point to who were, who were informing you and
0: well i'm grateful for the work that those folks have put in and more recently austin who austin hartke who just yeah. i think you just interviewed him last week or a couple of weeks ago yes. mm-hmm. um you know most recently like his book is so good yeah and and i'm so grateful for the work that he does and that so many people do you included um you know around and just the, the the length of time he spent just explaining terms <laughs> you know in that book and it, but it, the accessibility of it the readability of it uh i know that that's, that represents generosity that he doesn't have to do that <laughs> you know he doesn't have to walk people through this uh when it's something that he knows so well and uh and i appreciate the 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 hard work that that represents and I try to honor that and be grateful for it.
1: Yeah. Austin's book, like, my gosh, it's just, it's so good.
0: Well, he's such a raging Bible nerd. I love this book.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do too. Oh, yes. (laughs) So I, I know like there are like, I mean a ton of LGBT people who listen to this podcast, but there are also a ton of allies and kind of my thought process around this episode has been like, let's, let's talk to and with the allies. Um, for an episode. And I'm curious, like, what are some of maybe the mistakes that you've made? And Mm. what advice would you give to people who are maybe from the journey that you've been on and from learning as being an ally, that you would give to other allies that maybe I wouldn't be able to give as a gay person?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, I think the biggest mistake that allies tend to make is to speak for people instead of to amplify uh, other people's voices. And this can be a little tricky because I do think there is a place for uh, allies to articulate to people who are maybe not affirming, uh, here's why I'm affirming and here's how I got here. So there's a place for that. Um, but you know, you want to make sure that when you do that, you're also pointing people to um, actual LGBTQ people who can, uh, and their stories. Um, so I think just a common mistake is sort of, um, speaking on behalf of another group of people and then sort of basking in your awesome allyship (laughs) because of that. And kind of like, look at me being edgy and, you know, kind of wearing it as a badge of courage, like, Oh, I'm an awesome heretic. And, you know, like when this is, you know, people have been through excruciating pain because of, of some of what the church is teaching about gender and sexuality. And so, you know, it, you coming out as affirming is not, is, is not, um, I don't know, just doesn't require the same courage as coming out as gay. <laughs> so, you know, but sometimes there's a little bit of that sort of like patting oneself on the back and enjoying sort of the edginess of it. That seems kind of exploitive, um, and kind of commodifies, um, LGBT folks. And, you know, I've, I've faced that uh, impulse myself. And so I try to, to correct that. Another thing I would want to say to allies is uh, to not be afraid of making mistakes. Um, like, don't let the fear of making a mistake keep you from speaking out um, and, and trying to be an ally. Because I know, like, Twitter is... A tough place because you know. Oh, I like to say that conservatives will bludgeon you to death, but liberals will nitpick you to death. You know, it's like, and I'm convinced. I am convinced that my tombstone will read. But she had that one problematic tweet that one time. You know, it's just it is um it is an unforgiving place, Mm -hmm. and I, I think because a lot of the conversation around gender and sexuality and Christianity happens there, and I've learned a lot from Twitter. Um, I do know that there are people who want to be allies and want to be outspoken about their affirming position, but they're kind of scared to enter the fray because they're afraid if they say something wrong, they'll get dissected and, and picked apart and, um, you know, sort of thrown to the wolves, which, I mean, it's, I try to keep, and I've had that experience and, I try to keep in perspective that you know pushback on Twitter is not the same as being persecuted or nailed to a cross, <laughs> and um, and that actually, frankly, everybody forgets about it in a week. <laughs> <So Yeah. laughs> you can actually make a pretty disastrous <laughs> mistake, and people are over it in just a, a matter of days. Um, and so I would th- I would encourage allies. I mean, I do think sometimes progressive Christianity, we we do sometimes have a tendency to, um, to, to, to fight each other sometimes in ways that are not necessarily productive, but, you know, you can learn so much more if you go into it with some humility and if you get called out by a lot of people who you respect, chances are you said something wrong or you, um, you know you came at it with, uh, you know, a posture that wasn't helpful and that it's, you know, it's just worth listening to that and having the humility to apologize. Um, uh, it's, it's worth the risk of making the mistake to still be part of the conversation and to still be an advocate, um, because every, any ally, whether you're trying to be an ally to, you know, Black Lives Matter, or you're trying to be an ally to, um, LGBT folks, um, if you come at it with privilege, whether that's racial privilege or um, any kind of privilege, uh, you know, you're probably going to make some mistakes. You're going to have some blind spots and people are going to call you out. And that's part of it. (laughs) So I just would encourage allies not to let the fear of that get in the way. We're so afraid of being criticized. Don't be more afraid of being criticized than of speaking the truth. And Uh, helping people and coming alongside people and working towards justice. Um, If you're going to do that work in any way, you're going to make mistakes. So have grace for yourself, have grace for the people who are challenging you. Um, It's not easy because I don't like to be criticized, um, but it's so worth it uh, and it's the right thing to do.
1: I think that's such an important point of like, that kind of that, that line between that you were mentioning at the beginning of kind of that answer of like that, that there's a place for allies to speak. Um, and then there's also kind of that wisdom of knowing when to, like, to highlight other voices. But that that place to speak is, is kind of what I was thinking about, was, like, not being, this is all coming together in my head, not being afraid to speak out um, as an ally. Because I think for so many people, you know, for queer, for me as a queer person at least, to watch straight people be brave enough to speak out, um, cause I, I think I still, at least at the beginning of my journey, still kind of had this idea, like straight as default, straight as unbiased, um, right. <laughs> and, which just is, is not true. But like in the world that I grew up in, I was so scared to read anything from anyone queer that to have the straight people who were speaking up and saying, Hey, like, look at this. Hey, I think this queer person is saying some good things. It gives permission to start exploring, um, right. And that is so important and so needed for so many people.
0: Well, you kind of just have to know, you have to know whose ear do you have? You know, if you're a pastor, well, allyship, you know, if you're a pastor of a, in a conservative tradition, but you're affirming, you know, allyship's going to look different for you than it does for me, than it does for Jen Hatmaker, than it does for you being an ally to, say, trans folks. Uh, so you have to kind of know, like, whose ear do I have? And how can I best speak to those people um, while also not centering myself all the time and also being aware that I've got some blind spots because of my privilege? I think one thing that I, I feel like is a common mistake people make when when we talk about privilege is they think that it's like a a, a permanent label that it, they don't realize that it's relative, you know, that like, oh, you're saying I'm privileged. Like, privileged is just this place that you exist. Well, you might be privileged when it comes to, you know, race is probably the most significant. If you're white, you you know, that comes with significant privilege. Um, But you might be, you know, less than privileged when it comes to your economic background or perhaps you're gay or, you know, or in some cases being a woman, um, you know, puts you in a position of of not being as privileged as uh, the next person. So understanding that privilege is somewhat relative uh, I think helps sometimes because there seems to be a lot of misunderstanding. Like, people see it as an insult, like calling me privileged. It's like you know, I grew up with you know, in a small house, and you know, like people can kind of go through the litany of thing of the ways in which they feel they're underprivileged. So. That's something too. I wish I wish people understood better. And that was kind of an aha moment for me was realizing that there are a lot of situations that I carry privilege into those situations, and there's some where I'm more underprivileged. Um, and it's it's not an insult. It's just something to be aware of, and something to check, and something to um, to be honest with yourself about. And we can't really be honest with ourselves about that that privilege if we're not um, clear on what that means. That um, it's not. You know, privileged isn't just a static identity; um, it's sort of who you are in relation to others. Um, yeah, so that's something too that, that once you get some clarity on that, I think it's helpful.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Like, I mean, that was—I know—that was a huge lesson for me of like being like, "I'm gay. I'm so oppressed." And like when people are like, Well no, you still have a lot of privilege, like Twitter world. Um I was like, What are you what are you talking about? And that journey of realizing, like, wait a second, like just because I'm oppressed in one specific way doesn't mean that I don't have privilege in other ways. Like, that was a huge lesson for me to learn. It was a hard lesson for me to learn and um but it's so important for doing it. Yeah, this and that work. it's
0: not it's not an insult. You know, right. it's just something to be aware of. <laughs> and I think people just get defensive as and as soon as they hear it, and it's really hard to be honest about your privilege if you're being defensive about your privilege. But that's that that was a hard that was a hard realization for me to have and I think it's a hard one for potential allies to have too sometimes. Yeah.
1: This is this is a bit of a transition and a shift, but you have a new book coming out. That sounds so incredible. Um Inspired Slaying Giants, Walking on Water, and Loving the Bible Again. Like, I love that title. Could you tell us a little bit about the book and, like, what brought you to it? And this this whole idea of, like, loving the Bible again is something that, like, I feel like I know I kind of yearn for. Um, and I think I kind of get that feeling from a lot of people of, like, what do we do with this text? Like,
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, that was it for me too. It's like, cause I think a lot of us, you know, we were who we were raised to read the Bible one way, we realize that we have perhaps been reading it wrong. Uh, we don't really know, you know how to get back to it. We don't really know where to go now. And we especially sometimes I think lose our love of scripture and our fascination with scripture and, um, you know, just the joy of engaging scripture. So, what I wanted to do with this book, with Inspired, was to um, take people's doubts and questions seriously, take biblical, good, decent biblical scholarship seriously, but introduce a little bit of fun too, and and intrigue and imagination into uh, to my own journey and 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 to other people's journeys of. Uh, re-encountering scripture. So it's different than any book I've written before because it includes like poetry and uh, short stories, um, a short screenplay. Um, gosh, what else? Um, soliloquies, a choose your own adventure story, yes. um, which is, uh, and I I just, so I had a lot of fun writing this because I wanted people to, to be able to engage their imaginations in scripture again, and to invite that. I was very much informed, uh, not only by the scholarship of folks like Peter Enns and Walter Brueggemann, um, and also like Dolores Williams and some womanist, uh, Will Gaffney, oh my goodness, her book, Womanist Midrash is everything, um, uh, but, but also by Jewish interpreters of scripture and Jewish midrash, which is sort of like this creative, um, almost like fan fiction way of engaging in uh, biblical interpretation. And so uh, the Jewish posture towards scripture is, I believe, so healthier than a uh, uh, way a lot of Christians approach Scripture, and that they really welcome wrestling, questions. Uh, there's not this desperate need to make everything in the Bible resolve. Um, there's, there's just this willingness to let the tensions exist, to let the questions uh, inform us, and um, and to just love it, to love the stories, even when they can be troubling and when they raise uh, troubling questions and, and and issues. So yeah, it was this book was definitely influenced by. Jewish interpretation, which really changed how I engaged the Bible. And I hope that it just sort of invites people to love the Bible again um, for what it is, not what we're t- we try to make it.
1: That's so real of kind of like, I think for so many of us who've, who've moved into these kind of more progressive spaces, and especially when the Bible has been used as a weapon, <laughs> for, mm. especially yeah. for so many people who listen to this podcast, like when the Bible has been weaponized, like... I I think we, we tend to step away from it for our own health and so be it. Like we need to do that. And I am, I am a full advocate for like, if you need to step away from the text for a couple of years, like do it, give yourself a break. But (laughs) at least for me, like growing up in such a deeply conservative evangelical space, like there was a love for scripture that I miss and to reclaim that, like, I, I kind of relish the idea of, of reclaiming it, but maybe doing it in a much different way. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm excited for your book. Like, <laughs>
0: yeah. It's kind of one of those, it's definitely like a, when you're ready, <laughs> if and yeah. when you're ready, here's kind of how I found my way back to the Bible. Um, And, it, you know, different people are ready at different times. And for folks who the Bible has been used as a weapon against them, it, it takes a long time, if ever, to want to come back to, uh, scripture and to come back to the Bible. Um, and that's, you know, it's, it's a loss that they grieve in many ways, but if, if, and when they're ready to come back, I do think there's, there's life there. There's, um, there are stories that connect to our own stories in surprising ways. And, and that's true for people who have, um, have had scripture used against them. Um, you know, I, I look at, pr- in particular, you know, womanist interpretations of the Bible, which were really influential in, in my work on this. Um, and, it, you know, th- that's those interpretations are coming from Black women who, uh, for whom the Bible has been used very viciously against them. Uh, and yet, you know, they find in the stories of women like Hagar, um, the woman from Song of Solomon, uh, you know, these sort of these threads of, of justice in this, um, they, they hear a little of their own voice in those characters and in those stories. And so tracing it with them uh, can be really enlightening and tracing biblical interpretation from, uh, you know, folks who belong to oppressed groups. Um, you just see it in a brand new way. Uh, you know, they identify with characters and with instances and stories and even turns of phrase that I just never even noticed before, which is why one of the most important things we can do when we do come back to the Bible is to read it in community with people who are not like us, with people who are going to pick up on things that we would never pick up on and whose life experiences and you know, how they see things. Like Austin and his engagement of the stories of the eunuchs throughout scripture, I never even thought to pay attention to how often uh, we see eunuchs appear in the Bible and the significant roles that they played. Uh, But Austin noticed that, (laughs) you know, and so, yeah, that, that tried with the book to introduce a lot of different perspectives, but this was one of those books that could have been like, Five hundred thousand words. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, but but good, lucky for everyone involved, I had a child right in the middle of writing it, so it, it ended up being sixty thousand words. <laughs> so the, the the presence of procreation definitely helped edit this book to a, a reasonable size, and hopefully it's accessible to people. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, so maybe to close. Um, and I mean, this is, this is kind of a question that I feel like I've already asked. Um, like the question that I was coming with is like, what advice would you give to allies? Um, but you've kind of, I already asked you that. So um, I can ask
0: you a question. That would be great. Stop. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll uh, just start by saying something like, hey, Matthias, I have a question for you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. but <laughs> <Great. laughs> okay. well, let, let me see what I'm going to ask you. Uh, I'll, I'll ask you that question. Like, what can allies do better? That's like mm. an so all right. Okay. Hey, Matthias. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Since we're wrapping up, uh, I was wondering. There's a few things that I always like to to ask uh, folks, and one of them is, you know, how can I be a better ally, and how can other people who have similar platforms as I do, um, how can we be better be better allies? Um, yeah. What would you like to see us doing more of, mm. less of, mm. <laughs> that sort of thing?
1: Yeah. Thank you. Like I, uh, for me, I think one of the biggest things and thing that that I try to be aware of is like there, there there's so many of us out there. Um, and there are so many of us who, who have like kind of built platforms and and who are kind of doing this work, but I'm aware and starting to be kind of hyper aware of all the people who don't have the big platforms, Mm -hmm. uh, and who, are like writing their little blogs that have, you know, like 10, 20 readers and who are doing like really incredible, beautiful work, but aren't getting the quote unquote recognition for it. And the number of things that I feel like I've learned from those people and from those blogs that I'm like, Oh, like these are the voices that we need to pay Mm. attention to. Um, And so I think, and like, I mean, you, you kind of mentioned this, but, like, taking that listening posture, but that also, like, the work of, and I'm speaking to myself here, too, the work of, like, searching out those voices mm. that we haven't heard, like, and yeah. actually searching, like, it takes some effort. Like, I've noticed how much effort it takes for me to to get outside of my circles and find people who are doing similar but such different work. Like, it's hard to find these people, and yet they're everywhere. Um, yeah. And then to highlight those voices, like, that's something that I, I try to do with this podcast. I don't do it as well as I could, um, but that's something that I think for for everyone. I was just kind of like, where are all of the voices that I'm not hearing? How can I find them? <laughs> like Right.
0: And to support them financially, too. Yes. hey, allies. Like you've got a couple of bucks to spare to, you know, throw at this podcast or at the Reformation Project or, um, you know, or just, you know, whatever project folks are working on, um, you know, you don't have to be a big donor to, you know, just lend a, a hand um, cause like a lot of folks like you are like literally doing this out of their closet, yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, and, and I'm always so impressed with the work that I see, the creative work and the, um, networking work and the teaching work that I see, uh, Christian LGBTQ people doing. Um, you know, if you can uh, spare a little bit, uh, when it comes time to think about how you want to give, do you think allies can do a better job? Of putting some money where their mouth is, you know, it's easy to to write a twit a tweet, but um, you know, just taking a few minutes to share, you know, a few bucks via PayPal that can make a big difference. Actually, that really adds up. So I would say, folks, step up. Which reminds me, I have I have some donations of my own. That I really need to <laughs> to make. So now, great, I've just talked myself into donating money. But uh, I do think that, that that's also just something to keep on your radar if you're an ally
1: yeah i mean that's that's so true and in i mean like i i think of again all of these these people who don't have the platforms who are doing this work of where like even like a five dollar ten dollar donation means the world of like just the encouragement of that of like i see you doing good work here is something for that like something tangible like that's huge that's yeah,
0: huge. definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, also, I have to say, the, <laughs> I know y'all are all making a big impact on me because the other day I'm at a baby shower and this always happens. You know, I've got a little boy, a toddler. He's two years old. He's running around. And the girl next to me is the mom next to me is like, oh, my gosh, I have a little girl. You have a little boy. Maybe they'll grow up and get married. And I was like, <laughs> Or <laughs> maybe my little boy will marry her little boy, or maybe he won't get married at all. Yes. Or you know, yes, a whole litany, and they're just like as I'm talking, their faces get blanker. Like, <laughs> 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 so y'all have made me the weirdo at okay. the baby showers. Thank That's you. We
1: need we need that. That's Tennessee <laughs> needs that. <It's... laughs>
0: yes, Tennessee needs it real bad, y'all real
1: bad <laughs> Yeah. oh gosh oh, Rachel it's been such a pleasure
0: oh well thanks for having me it's an honor to be uh, one of the allies on here I, like I said it means a lot that you invited me to the party <laughs> yeah,
1: well, thank you thank you thank you it's an honor to have you here you can find Rachel's work over on her website rachelheldevans.com Keep an eye out for her new book, Inspired, Slaying Giants, Walking on Water, and Loving the Bible Again, which releases on June 12th. Rachel's across the internet on social media, at Rachel Held Evans. Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram, at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly, at Matthias Roberts. Quirology is produced with support from Natalie England, Christian Hayes, Tim Schrader, and other Patreon supporters. To find out how you can help support Chorology, head over to MatthiasRoberts.com support. A really easy way to help support chorology is by leaving a review. You can do that right in your podcast app or head over to MatthiasRoberts.com review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas about who you want to hear on the podcast or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you